Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fan With Episode 9. This is Steven Strom, as usual, here with Merritt K, as usual. Say hello, Merritt. Hi. Well, I missed last week, so this I is I guess it's return, not as usual, yeah. yeah. The return to form. This is mm-hmm. the return of the king, the Lord of the Rings, the all the things, you know? I'm the return back. of... Of people not talking about Google for three and a half hours uh, oh, while I just kind of sit last time. Oh, that's bad. I didn't like it. Ooh, I was sitting there because I didn't because I didn't go to the Google thing. Is the thing like obviously I would never say that our podcast, our show, our impeccable impeccable audio program would be bad in any way, but it was boring for but me. You personally. weren't necessarily on. You weren't like as deep in the conversation as you could have been. Precisely. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna fix that today. I'm yeah. gonna be that person. I will eat that sin. I will take that burden. I love it. I love to hear about eating sin. Uh, speaking of eating sin, Andrew is here living in sin. I don't know why. Andrew Whitmore. <laughs> Hello, I'm here to talk about Google for three hours. Oh no! It happened again! <laughs> Andrew Whitmore, uh, who was described to me, I think just yesterday, as the fanbite fixer. I think that is the yep. official title. Just He's the Ray fixer. Donovan. You got a problem, I'll fix it. I know a guy. If you've got a problem, he'll solve it. (laughs) We got that. check out my beat while the DJ revolves it. I don't have any I'm just going to let that one stew there for a second. Just going to let that sit there. Okay. Mm -hmm. I deserve Uh, that. I'm still getting back into shape and form. I'm, I'm, Yeah. Whereas I feel like my uh, weird restfulness last week of just kind of sitting there has just got me all hopped up and mad. Not mad. Hopped up and hungry. You know, like, like when mad you as hell. want it. And I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going to take sitting here and let Ryan talk about fucking bandwidth or something like that for too long. That's bandwidth, mind you, not fanwidth. Uh, so what are we going to talk about? I don't know. There's not a ton of actual news news to talk about. We're definitely going to talk about some video games this week, as usual. But um, kind of just wanted to check in with the crew, see what you guys are all up to, what you've been playing, what you've been watching lately. Merritt, yeah, Andrew, would you? No, like I was going to. Uh, whoever wants to go first. Is I, <laughs> I want to save Andrew because I know what Andrew's been playing because it's the same thing that I've been playing. Yes, and Merritt, and that will segue nicely into probably the bulk of the show. So I will get my stuff out of the way. Right. That's what uh, I always say. Get the, 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 it's time for the first segment of the show, getting the merit out of the way. <laughs> getting me out of the way. I'm just getting, I'm in the road. I'm standing in the road. Um, and I have to be sort of like gently ushered out of the road like cattle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've nice been that. sitting in the road playing Destiny 2 quite mm. a lot. I'm so I sorry. I gotta say, no, I love it. I've fallen into this game hard. <laughs> I oh, only really? started playing it so that I could stream something other than Apex, um, something current, and I didn't want to stream anything else competitive, so this seemed like the natural thing to do, and um, I really like it. Um, I like Destiny's stupid world. Like, I like the the visual design of a lot of it. Like, the UI is so beautiful. Um, like, I, I think it's... Just, I mean, it's kind of that flat design where sometimes you don't actually know that things are buttons until you mouse over them. Right. Um... But I think it's gorgeous. I think, like, the lore is, like, can be really dumb, but can also be, like, kind of fascinating. Um, in in the way that it, I feel like it, it takes itself a little less seriously than a lot of series like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's a little more winks and nods than in, like, a Halo, for example. Um, That's definitely and- a thing that they leaned more into in Destiny 2 than Destiny 1. 
I feel yeah, like. yeah, because of the pushback in Destiny 1 of, like, the wizard came from the moon. Right. Moon wizards. Yeah, so I've been playing a moon wizard. Um, that's my class. And um, I just have this this character who's, like a, a, like, a robot space wizard who has guns. Who has guns. Yeah, and, uh, a gun that's wizard. His, and he has no eyes. Um, he right. does have a mouth, so he can scream, but he can't see. <laughs> uh, all he can do is scream. Um, but uh, he's like, "Why do I have no eyes?" <laughs> <laughs> he sees through his mouth. Maybe. Um, not really sure. He looks like a fucking beetleborg or something, or like a. He looks like a Kamen Rider. If wow. that's uh, more your speed. Shout outs to um, all the Beetleborg fans out there. <laughs> yeah, I love that horrible Jay Leno like ghost guy that they added. I, I think he was a genie. Hey, what do kids? Hey, we're adapting this. The other we're Saban, uh, and we're adapting another thing, and it's about Beetle things. What do kids love? Jay Leno. Let's make a ghost Jay Leno who helps the kids turn into Beetleborgs. Right. Yeah. Kids love and bugs if, and Jalen. <laughs> I mean. 50% ain't bad, I guess. Um, I mean, no one got that reference as a kid. That was in that weird, like, period in cartoons in the 90s. I mean, that wasn't a cartoon. But when, like, there would be all these references that, like, no kids would get. And this right. wasn't at a time when, like, these shows were, like, also for adults. Like, we weren't in the age of Pixar. Like, haha, there's something for the adults, too. No, no adult is sitting down to watch B- Big Bad Beetleborgs about some kids who stumble into a haunted house and get superpowers no they, they were all watching vr troopers this is what i like to think of as the uh the animaniacs effect mm-hmm. uh where it's just like non-stop like who like did did, did i didn't know who prince was at that age when i was like watching no, animaniacs prince, steven time? spielberg all these people just like show up and it's like oh oh it's funny and like the whole okay the whole uh pinky in the brain um frozen peas bit do you know about this i don't i watched a lot of pinky the brain i do not remember frozen peas okay i commissioned a piece on this back when i was at verve from kara mm. ellison who is now uh also writing for us at fanbite but uh they basically did a whole sketch pinky in the brain that was just like a blooper audio clip of orson wells narrating oh. for commercials for frozen peas and it's just that they make like some small changes, but it's just that, right. and um, and like no kid was possibly going to g- like. It's not just a reference to Orson Welles; it's a reference to like this thing that he did that like wasn't a role. It was just a commercial that he got really mad at because he was getting like direction advice from from people in the sound booth about and, frozen um, freaking peas, and he was. Uh, if you okay, so wells. for you and for the listeners, if you haven't read about this, like just go to the frozen. If you go to Wikipedia and search frozen peas, they give you a summary of the whole thing, and um, they, it's just completely buck wild. He just gets so mad. <laughs> he gets so mad, and also, I don't remember if this is like apocryphal or not, but there it's been suggested that um, that he basically led the producers of this um advertisement on like a chase around europe (laughs) Hmm. like told told them he was in paris and then they flew over but by then he was like oh sorry i'm in venice now Hmm. um 
And uh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, um, how did we? Beetleborgs. Beetleborgs. I've been trying to follow week. y'all for like five minutes now. I'm so lost. <laughs> we, Andrew, we lost you at Big Bad like Beetleborgs. <laughs> um, well, Big Bad Beetleborgs was a Power Rangers esque series when Saban. Uh, what is this? It's not just Saban. Something Saban. Um, Saban is what it's always billed as. It's like Saban. Uh, no, that's quote, the that's the one guy. It's like uh, it's him and someone else, isn't it? Or is it just I don't Saban know. Entertainment. I, it it. it when, when oh, they Saban make that... Levy. Saban Levy, Saban I Levy, think, was okay. at the time. Um, also, yeah, I'm pretty sure both of them are not great dudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Saban, I don't think is. Who knows about Levy? Anyway, none of this. Nobody, because his name is in front matters. of the movie. So, none of this. None of this. Let's I don't go know back what kind to of Destiny dystopian too. world y'all have up north. Like this sounds mm. like some weird childhood. This like, was drama. American. This, this is American as hell. Andrew. American. <laughs> this is as American as apple pie. Like taking a, a Sentai show and putting uh, fucking Saved by the Bell into it. Uh huh. That's uh-huh. that's. I mean, first of all, extremely good idea. But that's American as hell. Yeah, um, Andrew. Andrew, how old? How old are you? Twenty-eight. 20. You're the exact okay, same age as yeah. me. How did you not watch Power Rangers when you were a kid? I watched Power Rangers, but other than that, it was like Toonami, and that was it. Like, oh, so you it wasn't on Toonami. I didn't get to watch it. We didn't Ooh. have like a good cartoon channel in Canada until like pretty late in the 90s. Um, we just had YTV, which was like a channel. YTV? That there was a talking TV in between and that had teeth, and he was uh... like... <laughs> That sounds it, horrifying. <laughs> it was, um, it was something. Um, anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, Destiny. Back to Destiny 2. I actually really enjoy the loop of the game. I mean, it's the same loop that every game like that has of like, you do a thing, you get a thing that makes a number go up, and then you do another thing. But the last time, and Stephen, I was sort of telling you about this earlier today when we were streaming Destiny, but I don't get into many of these games. Um, and it reminds me of my time with PSO quite a lot. Mm-hmm, um, Fantasy mm-hmm. Star Online for the Dreamcast, which was the very similar like hub world that does kind of like, the tower kind of reminds me of it. Uh, go down into an area, uh, kill a bunch of stuff or like do a quest get some things, go back, do it again. And again, that's like a very common loop. But something about the world of Destiny feels kind of like that to me. And I think just going into lobbies and, and like seeing other people around and like dancing right. and stuff. Going um, to vendors, uh, setting up clans. like Yeah, I, all that stuff. Destiny and Warframe, I think, would probably be like the two games that I would point to and be like, oh, everybody c- tries to say like, oh, they're like MMOs, but w- with first person shooting in them. It's like, no, they're they're... PSO, like they're the pre- they're the uh, the yeah. uh, offspring of PSO. Well, and especially because they're um, they don't do like the server based thing; they do dynamic servers, like mm-hmm. mega, the mega server thing of like constantly shifting uh, you between different instances. Which, if you read into how Destiny Two actually works, it's like buck wild. <laughs> um, the way that they solve the problem of like, okay, well, like um, an MMO can handle a ton of players and enemies in one instant or in one server but like it can't handle the kind of calculations that you need to be constantly like measuring um like firing right right yeah physics and stuff and that's why most mmos don't have physics um but so what they did is like yeah you're just kind of dynamically shifting between 
different servers or between different um, parties. Shards? Ma- matches, basically. Mm. Mm-hmm. And whenever you... There, so there's really deliberate, um, like, turns between areas uh, where, like, you can't see what's ahead of you. Right, um, yep. And every time you go through one of those, you're dropping into a different match. But it's so, like, it's almost completely seamless. And it's just really technically impressive to me. Um, and also, it's just fun. Like, now that I figured out the handling of, like, the warlock jumping and, like, the different weapons, like, just the gunplay is really satisfying. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that sometimes when you shoot a space robot alien's head, it doesn't, like, it mostly just, like, implodes. I feel like mm-hmm. it's really good. <laughs> it doesn't feel just like, oh, there's guts everywhere. It's just, like... No, his head imploded. And again, right. it is kind of the thing of sometimes I'll sit back and be like, well, I've been playing this game for about an hour. I've probably killed like 300 people and not all of them are like evil time traveling robots or like, you know, you social um, like zombies. Some of them are like people. Mm-hmm. I feel a the, little weird about that. But. The fallen. It, <laughs> the that's fallen always been dudes. so weird. They're, They're just, just people. Dudes. And in, in fact, in the lore of that universe, the Fallen used to be, like, good guys. Like, they are literally called the Fallen because they have fallen from grace. They had, like, the trap... Like, basically, they were, like, the human race in that they had the, the Traveler, like, giving them all their, like, superpowers pa- and magic and stuff. But uh-huh. then the Traveler abandoned them and left. And that's why they've followed you to Earth. Is Wait, they're why? Looking for that technology. It was getting chased by the darkness, I think, is kind of the, base, oh. the basic gist of yeah. it. Wow, that's really fucked up. I did not know that. They're um, like a warning sign personified, basically. Right, yeah. Like what you can happen with the, the Traveler and all that. Wow, okay. I mean... Which, uh, which oh, wow. in the original, if you read like Jason Schreier's like old, uh, incredibly good investigative report about like the development of the original Destiny and what it looked like before uh, it actually came to light, uh, in that version of the... In the original version of the script that actually happened in the first game was like there was a, like a third act reveal that the, the traveler is actually evil um mm. and a bunch of other stuff like yeah they they were not trying to hide it now they've kind of been teasing that idea or maybe that maybe the traveler's not directly evil but the traveler is definitely like not just necessarily a benevolent force for good like personified there's definitely shades of gray in it and they've been kind of teasing at that for like the last 4 years now i guess 5 years now um, but yeah, hmm. not to just dump some dump some <laughs> I mean, war bombs on. Okay, this podcast. well, if that's the case, then I'm definitely siding with uh, close up magic coconut shoulders, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. aka the drifter. Who? Mm-hmm. Wow, someone designed that guy and was like, "This is what a cool guy looks like." <laughs> um, he has kind of wispy facial hair. He wears like a bandana. Like, Solid Snake has a beard facial hair, right? Okay, let's do that. Except mm-hmm. uh, he wears coconuts on his shoulders, and mm-hmm. he's constantly doing close-up magic. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a cool dude. That's, like, the recipe for a cool dude. Um, so, yeah, I'm absolutely going to side with him and become You know a what he looks like? Do you know what, what? Uh, Drifter looks like to me? He looks like the main character from Days Gone, but in space. Now I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, yeah, look up Days Gone Wedding. Like, like find that. If See if you can find a picture yeah. of the wedding screenshot from Days Gone. I, I, I oh, know what no. you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think I already made this comparison uh, two weeks ago, but he just reminds me of Enzo when he becomes Matrix in Reboot, mm. because mm-hmm. also in Reboot they're called Guardians too. Oh, they are, um, aren't they? And Enzo becomes like 
a rogue, not a rogue guardian, but like a, a renegade. He, he calls himself a renegade. Yeah, he's a rogue. I think he's literally like his his character description literally describes him as a rogue light bearer. Yep. Light bearer. It's a hard word for me to say with my Midwestern tones. Yeah. I think that was my first like crush ever was Enzo when he came all rugged and stuff. Just, yeah. just throwing really? that out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, Andrea. <laughs> so like. I get, yeah. I mean, you mean like hexadecimal? That wasn't your jam, like. I mean, no, to some extent, yeah. But I think Andrea really, really sealed it for me. No, no love for, the, for the... The, the like fucking starfish, like, like a uh, bra. I think I want to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Now. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember this person. Who was this? And he said starfish bra, and I immediately remembered. <laughs> I'm, oh I'm no, a she doesn't bit of... actually have that. She this has kind of like a fish bra, and then like. Um, like, just fish everything. Yeah. I'm a little... Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, fish everything. I'm not pulling it up right now because my microphone will pick up the sound of me furiously Googling uh, Yeah, I'm scared bra. to touch it. Yeah. Um, I was going to say I'm a little bit upset to hear no uh, love for the strong jaw of one megabyte, but uh, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. I mean, nope. how could you not love... Meg- I mean, not necessarily in a sexual way, but... Who is his voice actor? I don't know. Um, uh, I gotta look this up because I think he did. Uh, oh, Tony J. Hmm. Oh, that name oh my sounds God. familiar to me. Um, let me see. And then we can, then we can talk about Sekiro. <laughs> we can. It's usually the case with cartoon voice actors. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Talk about what? Huh? Did you? Oh, do you guys know that they rebooted Reboot? Yes, and it was terrible. Uh, as a comic? As it a was comic? awful. Oh, as, a, as a live action television oh, series. Oh, yes. Yeah, I choose not to remember that that exists. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Then I will uh, it, leave it at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, okay, so you know um, uh, Legacy of Cain? Yeah, hell yeah. He, he's the elder god in Legacy of Cain. Ah, okay. Like that voice who's just constantly talking to you in Soul Reaver. Uh huh. <laughs> and it's just like Megabyte is talking to you. Oh, like, man, my absolute dream, to be honest. Like, <laughs> for real. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he uh, he's done a bunch of stuff. Um, what was that? Yeah. So, Destiny 2, fun. Um, and I don't know, I skipped the campaign, so I didn't play any of that. I did the Forsaken campaign. Right. And um, now I'm up to power level, like, 650-ish. Yeah, yeah, I think so. so. You might actually be I'm higher just, level I'm than me right now. Huh. I'm so I'm just on that grind basically. Right. Um and I've been enjoy- enjoying Gambit a lot, which I didn't think Hell that yeah. I would. Um and what I like about it too, like about everything in Destiny is like basically everything gives you something. Uh-huh. Like it's like, "Oh, you got to do your dailies." And I'm like, "Yeah, I do. Like I'm going to play Gambit just to like get my fucking powerful equipment. I will not do Crucible because that's traumatizing, but uh, so everyone's just, got yeah. that, that Thorin hotness, and I'm just like, I have this gun that I found on the ground. Mm-hmm. Does this, is this Thorn? They're like, no. Also, you're dead. Yeah. It, the Crucible is also just, I actually liked the Crucible in Destiny 1 a good bit. Um, I thought I was pretty good at it, but like the meta has always been very strange in Destiny 2 Crucible, because they specifically, mm. when they launched Destiny 2, well, in Destiny 1, Crucible was 6 on 6. It was designed and balanced for that. Destiny 2 
it was four on four, and which basically, because the player count was so low, it basically just amounted to, as long as you were sticking with two people at all times, you would basically just always win, uh, because there would always be somebody who was, like, splitting off from the group, um, and if you just had two people near you, you yeah. could just gun them down, and they're not going to get flanked or anything like that. There's just not enough chaos to hide in. Uh, so they eventually, with Forsaken, I think, actually, or maybe right before it, uh, up to the player count to six uh, per team, and I think it's in a better place, but it's still just not tuned for that, and I don't don't think it ever has been or ever will be. Um, so I've just never quite enjoyed the meta of the Crucible. They've, they've tried, they keep trying to do so many different things with like trying to nerf different weapon types and trying to buff different weapon types and change how much ammo drops for certain guns and stuff like that. It's just I just mm -hmm. can't get into that stuff in Destiny in particular. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Which I enjoy it in other games. Like, I mean, we've talked about Titanfall 2 on this podcast before, too. And, like, I feel mm -hmm. that is a competitive shooter that I can get behind. And I think that's largely just because of, like, there are so many different ways to get around between, like, the, the movement and the, and the Titans and stuff like that. That it always feels like you have an option for how to deal with people. Whereas in Destiny, it's just like, well, I didn't get Luna's Howl last year, so I'm fucked. Because they can just headshot me yeah. to death. All right, well. That's my little yeah. rant about the the Crucible, just for the record, uh, ahead of time. We did. So it. yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's me. That's what I've been playing, and I've just been reading a lot. Um, what are you reading? And I've basically I've read like seven Philip K. Dick books this month. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> uh, which is a lot of books a month for me. Um, and I, so I will say of all of them, I think Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was my favorite. Mm -hmm. And it's very different from the movie. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the movie that well, um, but there's all this stuff that like contextualizes like all of these things that seem kind of odd in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, the like animals. The, the turtle. Yeah. The tortoise. Yeah, the animal stuff. Um, it's really good. Um, and all his books are like pretty breezy reads in terms of just like being really... Um, quick to get through i feel like yeah. so it's like mostly really short stories that. right uh, he has a lot of short stories um but that was a novel and like he, he wrote a lot of novels as well oh, okay. um so yeah and then i've been watching golden girls which i've never seen before oh and i started from the beginning and it took about two episodes and now i'm in love with b arthur and i wish <laughs> she were alive <laughs> <in my life. laughs> She's very good. I've never watched. I never watched a ton of Golden Girls. I definitely knew some people in high school that okay. were way into it. But let me. Um, can I try to uh, explain it in a way that you might understand? Yes, I think I know the basic gist. But give me. What, give me the what's overhead. an anime that you have you seen? Um, trying to find like an anime. It, you, name something because there's a good chance I've I've seen it. If it's if it's like a well known uh, thing. How about like. Uh, Pretty Cure. I no, I have not seen it. I know what that is, but okay. How about um, I'm just looking at this list of okay, um, Naruto. I've seen the first like 30 episodes of Naruto. Basically, it, so there's like a, a TV tropes thing ca called a four girl ensemble, uh -huh. and it's just like how if you have four female characters in something, like they always have the four archetypes. So there's like um, the like the dits. Uh huh. Um, uh, the deadpan snarker, uh huh, uh, the sexy one, right, and the team mom, uh huh. This so, all tracks um, literally everything you're saying. Yeah. Just so basically, what I'm trying to say is that Golden Girls is anime. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like it's slice of life anime. Uh, I'm honestly, I'm into that, except for the part where, it, like, actually, the thing I don't like about slice of life anime is how it's all <laughs> super cliche, especially around its female characters. But I'm sure Golden Girls is maybe not quite as. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm sure it's not as male gazy as maybe like Naruto is. No. It is not. It is not. Okay. For, um, for no. its time, like Golden Girls pretty much stomped on every cliche. Like, yeah. it is very like LGBT forward. Oh, God. Yep. This is a mistake on my part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going off. And then that's a. That's me entering <laughs> uh, Do Not Disturb mode. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Golden Girls like stomped on every like trope and like cliche kind of, like it, it's very like LGBT forward. Like they they at the time like you couldn't be a divorced woman on TV, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's very like progressive for its time, and it's it's so good. Like it's so wholesome. It's very very good. Um. So yeah. Also, watch that. Anyway, that's in many ways. Golden Girls is also like Sekiro. Um. <laughs> Sophia dies twice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, in one episode, she uh, thinks she's having a heart attack, but she just ate too much, and it's a gallbladder thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then she gets back up. It's so. like when you hit R1 in Sekiro, and you just like, oh, uh, nope, I'm actually fine. That giant monkey didn't just squash me into paste. I'm actually just cool. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I think that was a uh, nice little segue into talking about Sekiro, which is what I have been playing a shit ton of lately. Basically since last week when we got a copy of it while I was at GDC. Uh, Andrew, you've also been playing a little bit of it, haven't you? Yep, uh, we streamed a little bit of it. Uh, pretty much, I think I've got like 10 to 15 hours into it. Not as much as you, but it's hard to put down if you start playing it like right yeah it does that very good from software thing of like and i would say it's even more concentrated than dark souls or bloodborne in this too where it's like you start off that game feeling like you have nothing you have no options whatsoever and then slowly you kind of rise and rise and rise on the power curve until like regular enemies just cannot even touch you or even if they do you can just like you have weird infinite loops where you can heal yourself all the way through it in one way or another, and then puts a little, like, one or two little, op- like, hurdles in your way along that path where uh, it's like, oh, now you can kill everything that is, like, mortal in one touch. Here's, like, this weird tentacled god that we're going to put in your path and uh, have fun just beating your head against that wall for an hour or two. <laughs> um and when you do beat it, though, your hands will be shaking and you'll be super excited because it's like, I got him! <laughs> yep, but it still, it still finds a way to put you in your place with those, like, little tiny minions and, like, little dudes that just run around. Like, they will kill you. They will fuck you up even, in yeah. Sekiro. Even, in a way that they do not in Dark Souls or Bloodborne, even. Absolutely, yeah. It, they will, like, find a way to counter you or break your bar or something like that. And it right. sets you on fire, you know, all the fun stuff. Right. Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's owing slightly to... I mean, this is something that... We're not going to... Just for the record, for listeners out there, we're not going to go too deep into spoilers here. Uh, I am pretty deep into the game. I would say I am approaching the, the what I would call the end. I'm trying to think of like a, how to put it into Dark Souls or Bloodborne terms, but it, there's not really a great equivalent. Um, 
but uh, I'm you've, well. Uh, you've hit the amygdala, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm well. See, I'm not even sure that I am uh, at the amygdala <laughs> thing yet, because uh, like, it, for people who don't know, like amygdala or amygdala, how they pronounce it amygdala in the game, but it's spelled amygdala. It's weird. In, in yeah. Bloodborne, is an enemy that you encounter where. Uh, once you encounter it for the first time in uh, Bloodborne, you the world changes, um, and you start to like you the the illusion that has been making the world look like a somewhat normal place falls apart, and suddenly all the areas you've already been to in that game look horrifying, and the sky is blood red, and there's like giant monsters stand like standing eight stories above you the entire time, and they were there, and they could actually affect you, but they were invisible, and you didn't know what was happening until that point. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Bloodborne's wild. Uh, Merit, have you? Did you play Bloodborne? I for, uh, don't. Wasn't sure if you were I played serious. It for a few hours. Okay. Um, and I just I bounce off those games. Okay. I just like I get why people like them. Okay. Um, but they're absolutely not for me. Do you, <laughs> I just get so mad? Oh. Do you do you care if I spoil? It sounds like you probably don't. Do you care if I spoil Bloodborne? I don't. Bloodborne? I mean. I know I've like read a bunch of the wiki stuff because okay. I think the lore is fascinating in this right. game. So right. please, please. I was just going to say, so the, the kind of the big thing in that game, in for people who don't know, is that in Bloodborne, um, that game kind of starts as gothic horror with, uh, like, kind of your Mister uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde looking kind of uh, big brutish uh, Victorian enemies and werewolves and things like that. And then slowly over time, you realize this is all actually like basically a facade that is being. Uh, created by Lovecraftian aliens, and I I don't I feel like that thing that kind of thing is about to happen in um, Sekiro. And you actually, Andrew, you might know this um, because you watched the entire game uh, yep. be streamed. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you, so you might already know the answers to these questions that I have just haven't encountered yet. And like I said, we're not going to spoil too much or anything like that. I can, I, but I feel like I may be on the cusp of something like that happening, but. To put it into other uh, uh, from software terms, I would say that I am well past the point where I have rung the two bells, uh, kind of the thing that kind of opens up the world. Uh, like I'm, I'm well, well past that kind of area. There's like a boss you fight fairly early on in Sekiro that uh, opens up a ton of different paths. And actually, one of the things that I think this game does a lot better than even um, Dark Souls, I think Dark Souls Two maybe uh, did this uh, a lot as well, but not all of the rest of the uh, From Software games is just giving you tons and tons and tons of paths to go down. Like once you beat that kind of like first real boss, that kind of uh, it's again it's hard to talk about without getting into spoilers, but it's kind of like the first boss where it's like, no, this is the real shit now. Like we're getting into the plot, we're getting into what's going on in this world. He's going to if you can't beat this guy, you cannot face what you're about to face later on. And once you do do that, like, there's, it just it feels like there's just 17 different paths to 17 different areas, all of which are infested with different mini-bosses and bosses and different things to do. So even though this game, unlike Bloodborne and Dark Souls, uh, does not allow you to just grind. There, you, you can kind of grind in the sense that you can get skill points that you can pump towards new abilities, but you can't put any points into stats the way you can in uh, Bloodborne or Dark Souls. Mm. So there's no way to just, like, math your way through something. Like, like very much in those games, if you got to a boss and you were like, okay, 
I got my ass kicked by this thing 13 times. I need to decompress. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to find the area where there's enough easy enough enemies that also drop a certain number of souls. And I'm going to run this loop over and over and over again. I'm going to get my timing down on this stuff a little bit better. I'm going to get smarter about it. I'm going to, you know, I might die along the way, but I'll just pick up my souls and be fine. You cannot do that in, in Sekiro at all. There's no, there's no concept of leveling up in that way and like increasing your health or strength or whatever. Yeah, but there is a lot of grinding in terms of grinding out items and yes. or, uh, upgrade materials and gold. And like people are suggesting, like you just flat out grind the first like forty five minutes you play of the game as soon as you unlock the uh, the like back in the past in the memory time mm-hmm. area. State, yeah, Harada yeah, State. They're just like sit there, grind for like forty five minutes. It'll set you up for the rest <laughs> of the game. I'm like, no, like it kind of defeats the purpose of the game it's like your own skill versus and not like a stat crunching kind of thing well and, and even that won't that will help you grinding that stuff out will help you and give by giving you different options for certain things because mm-hmm. it'll it'll give you things like combat arts is which is the name the game's name for kind of like active abilities where it's like oh i hold the block button and then i press attack and i'll do like a, a kind of a windmill sword swipe or i'll yeah. i'll jump forward when i attack and stuff like that but you can't do that to just like i have more health now to do that, yeah, yeah. Uh, the game actually doesn't have a ton of boss, what I would call, like, bosses bosses. Like, in, in very much a From Software thing is, like, either you find a fog gate, which is just this kind of, like, big wall of fog that your character will, like, press their body through, or you walk into a room and then a fog gate closes behind you. The number of times where that kind of thing happens in this game are, is actually very, very small. Um, and instead, the world is filled with mini-bosses that basically function almost identical to a boss in one of those games, but you have free reign to just get in and get... You can, like, skip them. You can just run past them. Like, you can, you have a grappling hook in this game that is attached to your prosthetic arm, which you lose your arm early on in the game and re- start replacing it with, like, robot attachments, more or less. <laughs> which, uh, you know... Like, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it, which, is, which is awesome. And also, you know, typical uh, samurai stuff. Um, the shin- shinobi prosthetic is what it's called. Um, and you can, but yeah, you can just like zip past a lot of these bosses that'll be like really, really hard fights, like super, super hard. And the way you get extra health and extra posture, which is kind of, this game doesn't have stamina either. It doesn't have stamina like from software games usually do in the past. Instead, you have a posture gauge, which fills up instead of depletes. And it's, um, every time you block or take damage, or even deflect, like, parry and attack, your posture gauge is increasing just a little bit every time. Um, and it doesn't go down very quickly unless you intentionally do stuff to make it do so. And the kind of back and forth becomes, like, you want to get their posture gauge filled faster than yours, because even the even the fights aren't really about reducing enemies' health. And, in fact, all the bosses, all the bosses and mini-bosses, just getting their health bar down to zero will not kill them. You need to pop these like two little pips on their above their health bars by raising their posture gauge all the way and then um initiating what they call a death blow uh and then you need to do that twice on most bosses there's like one or two where you don't where it's just one pip um so the 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 back and forth on that stuff is really really fascinating just because it's such a like uh it feels so even it feels so even keel those kind of fights happen in dark souls and bloodborne from time to time i think the lady maria fight in Bloodborne, uh, the DLC for that game is kind of a really good example of a character that is just basically the same size as you uh, and has largely the same abilities that you do, but it's just like 
yep, we, you're on even terms. We're just going to... You, you can't really just, like, oh, it's a big giant ogre, so I can just, like, dodge out of the way of its moves. It's like, no, they've got uh, a sword, and you have to deal with that. Um, I mean, Lady Maria is terrifying in her own right, to be fair. like that, That's what I'm saying. I think, <laughs> I, th- I think it's actually way more terrifying because, the, the like... An enemy that is of the same size and relative like power level as you is always going to be much quicker and much harder to predict than somebody who's like swinging a giant club, even if they're not like as physically imposing. Um, and then this is like almost an entire game made of that, uh, where where it is that kind of like interplay, like back and forth, where you, like you have you both literally have bars on the screen that are almost identical, and you can watch each other's go up and down, and you can see who is winning the fight at a glance in a in a very interesting way. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how you end up getting like more uh, health and stuff throughout the game, is you have to beat four of those <laughs> fights to raise your health and your posture gauge. Uh, so rather than put the like mathematical stuff ahead of the grind, or the, the, the mathematical grind ahead of the like technical proficiency at getting better at killing enemies like they do in Dark Souls, they put the technical proficiency in front of the mathematical grind. Uh, which is, like, such an interesting way of turning kind of their entire... What the formula ended up... Whether it was intentional or not, what ended up becoming the formula of how people play these games, it changes that whole thing. And uh, in a way that makes it very interesting to me because I think it shows a willingness from software's part to just completely throw out the book on what everything that they have built over time and replace it with something new. Yeah, I, I think that ties into kind of what I wanted to talk about with Sekiro is that, like, it always puts combat first. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't want you in the menus. It doesn't want you, like, fumbling around trying to get upgrade materials. It wants you fighting. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, so different from Dark Souls. Not so different from Bloodborne, but Dark Souls itself is, like, you know, you can dodge away and take a breather and, like... Uh, in, in Sekiro, it always wants you jumping right back into the fight. Like you, you don't, you don't want to like leave the fight and go heal. It wants you to like dodge into the character or dodge um, right. well, and towards them and parry. Yeah, yeah, you literally have to because if you're not getting in there and mixing things up, they're getting their posture back. And since it's mandatory to break their posture because you can't just chip away at them, there's mm-hmm. literally no option to do that. Which I think they tried to kind of build towards that system in Bloodborne. Where yeah, they, absolutely. They, yeah, by, by removing the ability to block, by um, allowing you to gain health back, they kind of gave you soft encouragement uh, yeah. to be extremely aggressive. This is hard encouragement. This is like, you will either <laughs> be aggressive all of the time, or you will not progress. Uh, pretty much exactly. I learned, I learned very quickly, like, if you're dodging, dodge into them. If you're mm-hmm. parrying, you know get into the rhythm of what they're doing it's all about like the rhythm of battle basically because mm-hmm. um, you, you can block but it doesn't in it reduces your posture not their posture it hurts you when you block basically mm-hmm. and, and uh, will kill you like it's it it will it helps you in the short term but hurts you in the long term in the in the mm-hmm. like in the overall flow of the fight but but one weakness with that though is i think uh vadi put out a video today that was like Oh, you can just spam the R1 button, and you'll occasionally, like, perfect parry, and you'll block every single attack they do, and, like, like that is such a huge downside that I, I was thinking, like, wow, I've been doing this the hard way, which is correct. Like, the correct way to do it is to parry 
you know, in tempo with what their attack is. But right. I could just spam. Like, I could just absolutely spam, which sucks. And you, you like, can get to... That, that's definitely true of certain enemies in certain fights. I think Lady Butterfly is actually pretty... Like, she's a very early uh, major mm-hmm. boss that you can get to that's kind of optional. But uh, very interesting... Like, again, speaking of Lady Maria, is actually, like, has a kind of a very similar... Uh, even combat arena to Lady Maria, like the kind of the yep. way you encounter her, uh, is very similar. Uh, I, I saw her and I was like, "Oh shit, Lady Maria's <laughs> back!" <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Like not quite as good a music, very good music, not quite as good as Lady Maria's theme, which is incredible, like untouchable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's easily my favorite, like Soulsborne boss is Lady Maria. Just oh yeah, in general. I'm like, actually the clock tower in the background. Oh, it's yeah. so good. I'm actually kind of bummed about that too, because like I, when I fought Lady Maria, I loved that fight, but I also beat her on my first try in Bloodborne. Oh so, no! So I didn't get to experience that fight too too often. Um, I died a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can do that. Uh, I will say later on in uh, Sekiro, especially uh, kind of where I'm at right about now, actually they introduce a lot of different mechanics that kind of force you to not be able to do that. There will just be enemies mm-hmm. that were ju- that will just be like. Hey, oh yeah, you can uh, you can right you know uh, trigger me. You can you can uh, use your R one button and hit me over and over again. I'm just gonna eat it. I'm just gonna soak that damage uh, because I'm a big fucking monster. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, or, oh god. Or I'm going to scream and generate like a field of terror. If uh, which if you stand inside for more than like two point five seconds, we'll just instantly kill you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I ran like into that. that with the headless. Like I mm-hmm. was, I was not prepared for any of the headless fights, which are not really bosses, but they're like scattered around a little bit. They're kind of uh, like secret little side mini bosses. Yeah, and like that they are just literally a headless person mm-hmm. wandering around a cave, you know, kind of sitting there, and they're like, they just throw you into it, and you're just like, you need like divine confetti or something to kill yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't if you don't go in prepared, you will just get wiped. Like, I think I died six times before I realized I need to give up. Well, I think the <laughs> the the, the uh, headless are a really good example too because they, on top of um, require like on top of do, dealing that status effect that you need to worry about on top of it, um, they will produce at least the one I have fought so far will also produce like a miasma around themselves that makes mm-hmm. it so you literally cannot dodge as long as you're standing yep. in it you cannot dodge so it's just like all right get that parry timing down and yeah you can you can r1 them and you can hit them but they're big they're like large ogre looking dudes and they will just soak that hit like they won't yep. stagger back like a lot of like just a uh, grunt enemies will um and i think that's kind of where the game starts to inc- like add those roadblocks i think at a certain point it does want you to feel the power curve it does want you to feel that fantasy of grinding uh of, of how you feel after you grind in a souls game but i want i think it is wants that to feel more naturalistic it wants it to feel like something that you earned rather than something that you were forced to do to progress uh absolutely and, I, and is largely successful in that regard i don't think i've really had any problems with the way that they have presented that stuff so far no, I I completely agree. It's like uh, I've I've never felt in a Souls game that like I was the one more in control than I have during Sekiro. Right. Like I I have in the entirety of the agency is in my court. It feels like even though technically it's not like like I can I control the flow. I control when I do what, and, and if the game punishes me for what I do, it's my fault. Like 
normally there is some like degree of uh, BS in like Souls game, right. or like oh you were out of the the area or something like that, or, and you got clipped by the sword or something. But like in this one, I feel like it's much tighter. Yeah, there's not as much like I mean the famous thing from Dark Souls One is that like uh, underground dark passageway where you walk uh, on like a ledge above a bottomless pit, and then you like come to a space where it opens up a little bit and but waiting behind the wall to your left is a skeleton and it just does like mm-hmm. a, a fucking donkey kick to knock you off the cliff <laughs> yeah <laughs> and if you don't know that's coming you're just fucked you're just gonna die um this game doesn't do shit like that this game is like now motherfucker we'll we'll put the boss right in front of you we'll we'll show you the knife before we put it in you um but just, <laughs> just get ready for it you, because it's gonna be fucking hard regardless it's gonna be it's not gonna be cheap but it's gonna be harder than any of the bosses that you fu- faced in any of those other games so you know here you are you asked for this. You you told us you wanted this. You kept buying there, those goddamn games. Yeah, true. There is there's one like bullshit thing that uh, the the people who come out of the walls like uh, in Sekiro. Yeah. That was like I was like you cannot be serious in like this game where I am like a samurai shogun like this dude just comes out of the wall and like whoops my ass like he's like a statue <clears throat> like it it, it kind of threw me for a loop that it, it feels like it didn't really belong in the game, but I don't really know the lore behind them. It, uh, it was just, it was kind of like out of nowhere, is I what feel, it felt like. To me, that that actually, I, I thought that was kind of interesting because, again, it is a thing that comes up much later in the game. It is, it's mm-hmm. not quite a spoiler, it's just a normal enemy type, it's not like a boss or anything. Um, don't trust the walls, is what I'm saying. <laughs> don't trust walls in any of these games, really, <laughs> to be fair. Honestly, don't trust walls in real life, I don't. Uh, I don't either. I agree. <laughs> um, but it, I, the tone of this game is really interesting to me because I would say like ninety percent of it is fairly non-paranormal. It's not supernatural in the way mm-hmm. that like by the time you get to like even dark, even in, I mean, Demon Souls, Dark Souls, both of those games, like you're dealing with. Um, I don't know, like weird slime, like D and D enemies at a certain point, right? Like it's just here's a slime on a ceiling that's just gonna fall from the ceiling onto you and kill you uh, because you didn't uh-huh. check the ceiling. Um, this game, it's like for the first like oh I don't know ten hours or so, ten you know maybe fifteen hours, you basically do not see anything that does not look like it could exist in the real world. Yep. It's, it's it's dudes with swords. Um, in the Sengoku era, it is like set in a specific period of Japan. It's like a fictionalized version of it, obviously, but it, it is set around like a, a it is historical fiction to a certain degree. Um, they they kind of bend it a little bit with the uh, the kappas and the uh, uh, the big I don't know what they're called, but they're like the big boys with the hammers. Right. Like it, it's it's like twisted a little bit, but you know you don't expect like full on like stuff like flying through the air and stuff like that like no well and that's actually the thing with the the big guys and like the the coppers which the game calls the rats later on you meet some characters that refer to them as rats they're not really even coppers they're just basically dudes because like you you encounter i won't spoil it but you encounter an npc later on that like kind of gives you a better understanding of what those guys are and you, you encounter a couple of different NPCs, NPCs, in fact, that kind of give you a better understanding of that. And it ties back into some of the earlier bosses, too, which are, like, one of the bosses you fight, and this is in, like, one of the trailers for the game. It's not, like, a huge spoiler. Uh, one of the bosses you fight is just a big bull with a burning bushel <laughs> of wheat strapped to its head. Uh, and it's just, it's just charging at you. 
And he, I just killed him. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tough fight because again, that's an enemy that's just like, all right, my, all right, hit me. <laughs> what do you what am I, like? Yeah. All right, you hit me all you want. Like I'm a bull. <laughs> like that's not gonna stop me. Um, I got fire on my head. I'm upset. <laughs> um, but like it's it's that there's even so there's a there's a mechanic in the game where you can eavesdrop on enemies and they will kind of like talk to you about things that uh, you can expect to encounter later on or things that you have already encountered or kind of sometimes will point you towards little side quests. But kind of the main thing about them is that it, a lot of the times they're talking about why they're doing like why they have a bull with like fire strapped to its head and it's basically like they're talking about it like it's a weapon of war it's it's a mm-hmm. it, it's a fear tactic that they have created to like try and freak people out and in this world and i think this is one of the things that's so fascinating i'm not the first person to point this out at all but i've seen a lot of people mention this too in this world it feels like we are on the cusp of going from an age where things are more or less normal there's just normal people uh, and you have some things that are strange, but not necessarily supernatural, and they're intentionally strange because it's people trying to f- scare other people, and that's how you create a legend of, like, a, a bull that's on fire, it's a ghost spirit or whatever, because one time in one battle somewhere somebody did that, and then the survivors told the tale, and it grew in the telling and became, like, a myth. But then, as the game progresses, those things become less and less, like, explicable it, I, I don't know if that's a real yeah. word if it is uh you know what i mean though uh yeah they, they become less uh less like um things that you could explain away with uh just tricks and illusions and become it's almost it's almost like the 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 unreal is fading into the real and like become the supernatural is is kind of bleeding out of the myths that are being created around them which is interesting because Souls games, Bloodborne games, from software games, always take place in worlds where that stuff happened eons ago. Like, there, in Dark Souls, there was a golden age of gods where everybody kind of uh, lived in harmony and there were kingdoms and, and they were full of people. But that age has been gone for so long that nobody, like, remembers anything now. There are castles, but those castles are full of, like, giant armored golems that have no masters anymore and just patrol killing anything that moves or or this uh forest has people living in it but they're all infested with snakes that burst out of their eyeballs (laughs) you know things like that and (laughs) in in thematically that almost makes sekiro a prequel to traditional from games because you are a fully invested character in the fall of the civilization around you the fall of the civilization into the dark times of the supernatural and the horrible. Um, it's like the prequel, the the Japanese prequel to Bloodborne, basically. Yes, um, like <laughs> I would believe that this took place like two hundred years before Bloodborne in a different part of the world, in that same world, but like in a different country, <laughs> like for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the things that uh, one of the ways that they actually, I think, this is another major difference between um, Sekiro and other uh, from games is that you play as a character. You don't create a nameless undead or chosen undead or champion or whatever they're called, a hunter. You play Sekiro, the, the, the one-armed wolf. He's like a named character with a voice and like he has lines and talks mm. to people um, and has relationships with people. Like there, there is a fairly important NPC that you are trying to like, that you are interacting with throughout the game, basically from the very beginning, and is... T- tied into the civilization and the nature of the civilization and what is happening to it and cares about it. Um, and because of that, I think anyway, uh, 
it really grounds you in that decay because you are uh, a part of the the goings on that are leading to what is going to happen next what what the next age of this world is and i find right, that super right. fascinating i mean your 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 character is like literally the harbinger of like disease basically isn't he like i don't think that's a huge spoiler is like there is like a plague kind of that your character is a part of almost it's it's, it's largely, weird i'm not that far but it, it's it's weird uh yeah well, um i don't know is this too spoilery we can it, stop it, it, this gets a little <laughs> bit spoilery i will say early on in the game you meet a character one of my favorite npcs in this game is hanbei the undying it's like oh yeah <laughs> you, he's so good you run into him, like, uh, in the very... This is not very much not a spoiler. He's, like, one of the first NPCs you run into in the game. It's basically how the game handles tutorials, like, raw tutorials, which these games very rarely have. Um, there's no... Uh, in Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne and whatever, what they usually do for tutorials is they will have, like, little messages on the ground that are written by the developers. And you click on them and you're able to uh, read, like, oh, press R1 to attack. There is no message system, either online, user-generated, or by the, the developers in this one. Uh, instead, what they have to kind of let you nail, like uh, dial in your timing on parries and stuff like that is a character called Hanbei the Undying, who uh, is just an immortal... He's basically the protagonist of a Dark Souls game, because he's like an undead that... Uh, <laughs> That just hangs out in your like little hub town. He's like, yeah. Uh, so since I'm undead, um, you can just come here and kill me over and over and over again, and treat <laughs> me like a training dummy, and practice your parrying and your Mercury counter and your step dodges and stuff, and stab me, and then I'll just get back up again, and we can do it again, and we can just run drills uh, with <laughs> that end with you cu- cutting my head off. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're talking to him, he he has a little bit of extra dialogue around himself and stuff like that, and he like literally he's like kind of like laughing about it. He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm undead. Uh, some people call it being infested. <laughs> Which um, <laughs> definitely plays into some stuff later on in the game. So I will leave it at that. I will leave the, the nature of the, the what, what the infestation is to, to people to discover later on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, there are some allusions to something unnatural going on that is related to your inability to die, but also not quite the same. Yeah. Um, which, it's, go ahead. Oh, it's just a big old yikes for me, the whole infestation stuff. It's, uh-huh. It's real gross. <laughs> uh-huh. It super is. Uh, it super, super is. Um, which I, I, I realized we never actually mentioned what kind of the big thing. This is, the game, the name of the game is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is an allusion to the fact that you can just resurrect in this game. Uh, you can just stand back up from where you were, wherever you die. Um, pretty much, like does, it doesn't mean you like just get to revive. Like you, you, there's a punishment for like doing it, and it's that you can't do it again, basically. Yeah, and you, you come at like two percent health, basically. Yeah, you, it, I think it, it has your health bar when you do it. Uh, you get two resurrections. You get one that recharges every time you rest at the game's equivalent of a bonfire, basically any checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get one that. Um, builds up over time as you kill more enemies and uh you if you die and resurrect you can't resurrect again immediately you have to kill like two or three more enemies to re to like unlock that second resurrection mm-hmm. basically um it also procs on um when you uh get a death blow it'll it'll recharge yeah it, it recharges i think you still have to do it a couple times but yeah for 100 mm-hmm. um 
which uh, that is the like kind of main thrust of this game is this game is actually like very interested and goes into talking a lot about like that particular uh, function like that that ability of on the part of your character uh, to tell to talk about a lot more of the themes and this is actually where I think it gets very direct in its like thematic connections to the Dark Souls universe which for people who don't know about like Dark Souls especially uh, they're basically all those games have at least two endings like one ending where you um, Re- restart the Age of Flame, or the the Age of Fire, or you usher in the Age of Darkness. And then Dark Souls 3 is kind of like, uh, presupposes that in all the other previous Dark Souls games, people continued to ignite the flame, which is kind of like the the, the main ending of those games. Um, where But then in, by the time of Dark Souls 3, everything is like burning to ash. Like, the world has stagnated so badly because the Age of Gods has not been allowed to give way to anything new. It's basically stagnating. And... That is what's causing people to come back to life and, you know, having to try and do all kinds of uh, weird shit that they have to do in Dark Souls games. This game definitely goes into those themes, like, very directly with, like, where it's not uh, opaquely like the way that uh, Dark Souls or Bloodborne does, where it's like, oh, you can kind of get the gist of what's going on if you read the item descriptions. It's like, no, there are speaking characters and they are here to tell you I have opinions about the politics of bringing soldiers back to life over and over and over again. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's just really refreshing to see, like, it's it's refreshing and it's also kind of vindicating, uh, like, kind of a relief, I guess, to see that from when they tell, like, a more traditional narrative with, like, cutscenes and characters that they actually kind of nail it. Like, they, they still do well. Um... I was worried that they were... This is something that ties into Destiny 2 as well. I feel like oftentimes these days, video games are very good at having lore and very, very bad at storytelling. Uh, And I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which it's... Yeah, this game uh, is good at both, which is a huge surprise and also very rewarding. Um but I don't want to. Again, I don't want to go too deep into that because it, that's real spoiler territory, and don't want to. Uh, I want to let people discover that for themselves. So, so one criticism of the Sekiro story, though, that I have specifically, it's it's almost too linear. Mm. Like I don't I don't want to spoil like anything other than that. It's just it's very direct and it's very like overt in the way it tells you everything. <laughs> Like, it's not like Dark Souls where you have to find the lore hidden on the item that's at the, like, ass end of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's very much, you're in this story, you're tell, tell, helping to tell it. Which I don't know is bad, but I do know it's it's probably not everyone's cup of tea in terms of a Soulsborne game. Right. Um, but that that's honestly my only, like, super criticism and it's not even a criticism because i don't know if i like it or not right yeah uh, kind of, i will say this too uh you are if you just kill the blazing bull you are fairly close to a part of the game that part of the game where it branches off in all kinds of different directions yep mm-hmm. i i think you will enjoy that because it's a lot of the storytelling ends up there, there becoming like you seeing how different societies around this uh ashina is the name of the kingdom where the game takes place yep. um it's it's all those different branches kind of lead to different parts of the world that kind of indicate to you uh, how different people have reacted to the knowledge that immortality is not only attainable but like real like like is currently existing and is affecting their daily lives. Um, yeah, yeah. As as you start to find those like different uh, scattered settlements and stuff like that around the world, um, 
it's not told through item descriptions, but it's told a lot of through, like, um, the bosses that you fight. And even to a certain degree, the item descriptions. I actually think the item descriptions, while they're not, like, they don't put, like, very uh, vital lore into them. I think they put in, like, really smart, small bits and pieces. It's just like a dash of flavor, basically, on all the items. Yeah, totally. Uh, like, I think the my uh, the uh, one very, very early example that I think other people have also pointed out, too, is that, like, ceramic... You get this item that you can throw that's like a ceramic shard, and it's like a distraction item. You can throw it, and guards will hear it, and they'll be like, what was that noise? And then walk over there, and then you go up behind them, uh, press square 11 times, that snaps their neck, and then Snake can get back into cover. Uh, he can <laughs> take eat a ration. Uh... But the item description for it basically explains that, like, people in this area, like, when they used to, when they were kids, played games where they would, like, shatter uh, ceramic shards against walls and stuff like that, and they still remember what that sounds like. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a, the reason that these guards don't just immediately, like, go, like, oh, shit, there's, like, a bad noise in the distance, like, we better, like, get angry and, and go check that out and go kill that guy or whoever's there or whatever and, you know, be paranoid. It's, it's playing on their nostalgia to be like hey wait a minute that was like the sound of a basketball being dribbled what the fuck is that like and then they start to go like they're they're curious instead of afraid of it so that's why they go in those directions and like item descriptions like that are so good because it adds it adds um like a human context to this again this world that feels more human still that that feels like it still has like a society that hasn't completely broken down at this point um in, at least around the edges and yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and makes it a, a vital part of like how you move through that world. Yeah, so, yeah. I yeah. entirely agree. <laughs> anyway, long story also, short, the, uh, the game. <laughs> the uh, the other thing is the uh, the last thing I promise. Oh no no uh, yeah. the the remnants I think is what they're called. Yeah yeah they're, like remnants remnant and memories. memories. They're memories yeah. and then they turn into remnants. Gotcha. Wait no uh, am I I don't know if I'm talking about the same thing. It's the it's the pink glowing, like, um, uh, interactables found around the map that is, like... Oh, no, the, no, no, the no, you're past. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. No, those are remnants. I'm thinking of... I was getting the name wrong of something else. I mean, both of them are cool, but both of them, like, kind of add to, like, you are involved in this story directly, not through, like, some item that you found a description on. It's, it's very much, like, you as a person are involved. <laughs> Yeah, these are basically like kind of um, they're basically the Sekiro equivalent of audio logs. Um, it's like how do you tell an how do you do an audio log within an era without like tape recorders? Um, and it's almost like it's basically like you will find these kind of like after images, these kind of like ghosts uh, standing still of people who were standing in that spot at a certain time in the past, and you can like hear snippets of their conversations that they were having with each other. That, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And that also ties into the eavesdropping thing, because sometimes it gives you hints on, like, where you should head next, basically. Right. It's like, oh, there, is... there's, like, a, a that guy was using a cool-ass spear. We locked it up in the gatehouse. It's like, oh, I got this gatehouse key. I wonder where that gatehouse is. Oh, well, <laughs> these guys are talking about it, so, yeah. yeah um, it's just another little cool element they kind of tossed in. Yeah, 100%. And, like, I think that's where you get a lot of that stuff, where characters are just, like, very directly having, like debates and expressing opinions and like acting as dynamic forces within that world like again it's not a this is not a world where everyone has been dead for a thousand years this is a place where people are trying to decide their fate uh that are not people that are not you people that have opinions on the way the world should be run or should not be run 
um, are, are continuing to move through it uh, in a way that, again, I think works ends up working very well for this kind of storytelling, especially because they decided to set it in an era that feels very different from their other ones, while also still thematically connected to what we think of as a From Software story. Uh, at this, like, it's very interesting to me that, like, they were just so willing to throw out... Like, it's, it's interesting to me the, the pieces that they decided to keep and the pieces that they decided to throw out. Because it feels to it the way I've described it before is it feels to me like they saw Neo, they saw the Surge and Lords of the Fallen and Salt and Sanctuary and all these games that are just basically Souls likes, like all the all the games that people uh, did to, uh, made to replicate what they were already doing. And they looked at those games and said, "What is the thing that everybody is replicating? What are the what are the details? It's it's things like oh." When you die, you would drop your experience on the ground. When you uh, when you go to a place uh, to rest, you get like a, a healing items back. They replenish your healing items, and for the most part, those easily replicated little details that are kind of like the almost twee at this point because it's like, oh, look at our little indie game. It's just like Dark Souls because you can have items that you pop and they give you experience, uh, and you can just carry them. But then that way, you when you die, you don't lose all your souls. They got rid of all those. Like, or not all of them. They got rid of a good number of them. They got rid of stamina. They got rid of the fact that you don't drop your souls when you die is huge. Like, you just lose half of your money and XP every time you die now. With some exceptions, which is kind of tied into a mechanic uh, that you discover very early on in the game. Um, but then they said, okay, from th now that we've, like, removed those parts, let's double and triple down on the things that only we can get right. Because the, the intangibles, it's the, it's that dueling sword dance between, like, the, the Lady Maria, the Lady Butterfly type characters of our worlds. It's the, it's that story of, uh, stagnation and death and rebirth and, uh, you know, ages of darkness and ages of light and cycles and stuff like that. Like, we're gonna double and triple down on that stuff, make it much more vital to the core experience of that game and get rid of all the parts that anybody could copy us on. Or that anybody has successfully copied us on in the past. Because uh, this is ours, goddammit. We're from software. We started this, <laughs> and we're willing to restart it all. We're willing to burn down a lot of what we've built in the past and start again. Which, in a way... Is kind of like putting their money where their mouth is, considering like what the <laughs> what the overarching beliefs in these games usually tend up to tend being, which is that like change is good and specific change mm. is good, uh, and this is the specific kind of change we think is good, and now we are proving that by making a game where we changed everything, <laughs> uh, or at least changed enough of it where you can tell that we are actually legitimately pushing this thing forward. Anyway. Sorry, Merritt. I know I knew that going in that this was going to be the Sekiro podcast. <laughs> no, me too. It's fine. I'm easing back in. Good, good. Yeah, uh, that's how it works. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a very good game. It's a very basically. good game. People should play it. Uh, you think you will, Merritt? Is anything we just said make you excited? I, you know, I would love to watch someone play this game. I feel like I would just be screaming constantly. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, lucky I, for video you. Video games make me very mad. <laughs> I'm not a real gamer. <laughs> lucky for you, we're streaming it on Fanbyte, Twitch, whatever, twitch.tv slash Fanbyte. We got it. That's it. It's plugged. <laughs> I also love, Merritt, you say that, like, oh, I'm not a real gamer. These games just make me so frustrating. It's like, also, I put 200 hours into Titanfall 2, which is, like, the most competitive ass shooter ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can do FPSs, kind of. Um, 
but yeah, I know I bounced off. It's so funny because like, um, like a friend of mine, uh, she didn't really grow up playing a lot of games and then started like, she played like harvest moon and, and a few like persona, some like RPGs and stuff. And then, um, picked up bloodborne a few couple of years ago and just like, like dove through it, just like knocked it out and then got a switch and was playing Mario Odyssey and was having like a really, really hard time with it. And I like picked it up and I was like, okay, I've been playing 3d Mario games for like the past 20 years. So like, I basically know, like know this from like muscle memory. Right. And I was just like doing some of these challenges and stuff. And she was like, how do you like, that's how do, I'm like, how do you play Bloodborne? Like I, how do you do that? It's impossible. And it's so like, I don't know. It's funny. This idea that like it's for hardcore gamers or whatever, obviously like that's prima facie, like a dumb thing to say, but like, the, I don't know. Like, it's just different skills. And a lot of these things, like, some of them are transferable, but I feel like the overlap between, like, a, an FPS and a, a Souls-like and, like, a Mario is, like, it's there, but it's very narrow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. You, you kind of touched on my least favorite aspect of the Souls series, Soulsborne anything is the community gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, very yeah. bad. Like it is not it's not for like only elite gamers. It's 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 a good game that is for a lot of people, but some people just don't have the time or like I guess mental fortitude to trudge through that. Like it it bugs me so much when I see like gatekeeping on Twitter about it. Yeah. No, 100%. And I actually it's funny to me too because i don't actually think i am one of those people who says these games aren't even really hard but i don't mean it that way what i specifically mean it is for the people who are like this is for hardcore gamers only it's like no not really like these games (laughs) they reward patience uh and lots of free time but like yeah it's it's just it's more a matter like anybody can get through these games like you're not some special elite because you're able to get through dark souls because Again, at the end of the day, you can just kind of grind through it and get so beefy that you can just walk over most of the enemies in those games. And that's what a lot of those people who, like, claim to be, like, I'm the, you know, I've got reflexes, you know, like, you know, I'm a pro gamer. Like, I work for, I don't know, Cloud9. I you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I think that is such, like, uh, is such a bad, I mean, obviously it's a bad thing just, like, <laughs> morally. Like, it's, don't be an asshole. But also, I just think it's it's kind of uh, uh, an incorrect self-assessment about themselves, too. Uh, it's a yeah. lot of ego, basically. It's a lot of ego. It's a lot of undeserved ego. Uh, and even if you did, that, like, even if you were good at playing those video games, don't be an asshole. Uh, but whereas well, I but... actually think this, this, these game, this particular game maybe does rely on a little bit more just like, yeah, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to kind of get good at beating this one particular boss over and over again. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing that uh, as kind of a joke that people have been asking for in Souls is a difficulty setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Sekiro delivers, but it's a hard mode and a harder mode. <laughs> oh, is that the case? I didn't, <laughs> yeah. even, I didn't even realize. It, yeah, it's a, a bell. A certain bell you ring turns on like demon oh, mode or something. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, not quite the direction that people wanted, but <laughs> no, um, no. It, it's like 
I totally understand that like people want difficulty on these games, and I totally agree that they're, you know, should be. Um, these are some of like the best lore-intensive story games out there, right? Like period, and like I, I, I it, it makes me more sad than anything when someone's like, oh, I, I can't devote the time to this, and, and I'm like. It's it's not like a, a sad like I'm sad for them I'm sad that they don't get to experience it right because yeah. there's like this wall in front of it right and but yeah it's just depressing sometimes seeing people like yeah, it's only for elite nerds right fourteen hundred like, APM no 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 yeah three sixty no scope you run faster with a knife but <laughs> <laughs> it, it it sucks because like yeah like. There, there is. I mean, it sucks for several reasons, but like, I think there is a there is a contingent of people out there who are like, just on the cusp of getting into these games and being able to experience that and find out that they would have a really nice time with them. Uh, in, not the people who necessarily like are, are just like, I will never get into these games. They're just not for me. That's fine. I've I've made my peace mm-hmm. with that. But I think there are people who are probably interested in these games and could get through them. If it weren't just for the psychological and social hurdle of like having a bunch of dingbats yeah. on Reddit telling them, sure, like, stay away. Well, just yeah. avoid Reddit is is the main <laughs> takeaway here. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Social media is evil, and that's as the social media strategist for Fanbyte. I say that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's probably. I think we've exhausted uh, Sekiro talk for the foreseeable decade. And now is my two-hour treaty on why Vampire the Masquerade is the best game on the planet. <laughs> There'll be plenty of time to talk about that. Yeah, speaking of Gary it actually comes out. When is it coming out? Did it get announced? Do we have quarter one, twenty twenty? Oh God! Ooh. So probably quarter four, twenty twenty. Actually, uh, quarter quarter one, twenty twenty for the base game, and then. Quarter four, twenty twenty for the fan patch that fixes the base game. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally fair. Uh, we didn't talk about this in the news, but yeah, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Bloodlines BTM two colon B. <laughs> BTM colon. Wait, no. B colon T M dash B. Right. I'm pretty sure that's actually. Wait, how you said it is. B. Oh, V. <laughs> yeah. Vampire, Vampire. Masquerade. <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. I don't know We're what from the, Arkansas what now. Yeah, there we go. I was going to say I don't know what uh, accent that was, but apparently you did. You had me my back there. It's okay. I'm from Arkansas. We get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, but like, yeah, I'm so excited for this game. I just wanted to drop it and just sure. let it marinate there for a little bit. Uh, literally is being written, at least in part, by Kara Allison, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they got most of the original writers back. Almost all of them, did, I think. She didn't work on the first game, I don't think. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, uh, from the original game. Uh, oh, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but it's the one of the original writers is at least back. Okay. Uh, and it, she, I think she, Ellison, specifically, I think, is also working on a game called Void Bastards, so she's definitely getting around. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, yeah, I don't know if anybody has anything else. Uh, do, you, do we want to call it? Sure. Yeah, let's call it. All right. Uh, like you said, this is kind of like a easing it merit back in here, getting shaking off the rest of GDC, enjoying a fine video game like Sekiro. Thank you, Andrew, for coming on to talk to me about it. You're welcome. 
Um, where can people find you if they if you want them to be able to find you? Uh, I think most of my social handle, handles are at Glycerol, uh, G L Y C E R O L L. Um, it's a lot of shit posting, mm-hmm. um, a lot, a lot of super cute boys, and um, that's about it. Just injected nothing of substance. Oh, yeah, okay. no, nothing of substance. Just only cute boys, twenty four seven. There is a lot of substance to cute boys. How dare you? <laughs> Um, can't I not to derail this uh, outro one more time? Wh- can you tell me what that means? Glycerol. What What is the etymology of this handle? So it is a fatty acid chain that is the building block of life, basically. And because my degree is a food scientist, oh I thought it sounded really cool. Uh, right. Turns out, doesn't. <laughs> um, no one gets it. No one spells it right, and no one says it correctly. So. Um, Good job, freshman Andrew. Oh, really right. got him there. Well, Merritt, I know your name is just your name, but why don't you tell people where they can find you anyway? On social media or what have you. Huh? Do, do you want to tell people where you, they can find you? Oh, I mean... Do you want them to find you? It's fine if you're incognito. It's like it's cool. It's cool <laughs> if Hunter Fox doesn't want the world to know. I'm on the run. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm I'm Mary Kay on Twitter. Two R's, two T's. Uh, you know, you know. That's where you get the good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where I serve up the good stuff twenty four seven. It's a pretty like good. I just retweeted Mer- Mia Farrow mm-hmm. uh, saying that. Oh my uh, god. I've been on this earth for a long time and have found most people to be kind and good-hearted, which is the reason I don't think they'll vote for Donald Trump again. Also, the first version of Myst was released in 1993, and I think it's still one of the best video games. (laughs) That was a lot to unpack there. (laughs) So I'll just leave you with that. There's so much to do with that. Um, (laughs) Mia Farrow, go on, Chapo. Uh, Anyway, you can find me... Steven Strum as uh, at Steven Strum on Twitter. I am also uh, posting a lot of Sekiro coverage for us on our website, so if you have any questions about how to beat certain bosses or find certain items, you can go to fanbyte.com and you read about all that shit. It's good. I'm also eating naan. I've been kind of nibbling at naan this entire time, so I'm very sorry if uh, the sound of that has uh, upset anyone or if it picked up on the microphone at all. But in the interest of no. full disclosure, I wanted to let everyone know cool <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of one to ten where would you put it though just for the, just to get the full sensory experience just in terms of like general uh taste of naan yeah oh, this is some like uh garlic butter naan which i really really love from uh india palace which is about like uh, you know like a block and a half away from where i live right now fantastic chicken vindaloo i just got some of that earlier today it's been good uh in terms of uh actual if i had to put a, like a number to it uh, for the food scientist uh, on our podcast, I'd say maybe like an 8.5. That's pretty good non. It's pretty good non. Uh, and that is a pretty good podcast that is ending right now. Fanwith.com, tr- your trusted source of non-news and non-news, if you catch my drift. Merit. Save me from myself <laughs> by telling the gamers out there what they can keep doing. Keep on gaming, gamers, and Myst is the best video game of all time. Thanks.